You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, July 19th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Uh, Brad, just a quick programming note. Uh, this week, uh, Comic-Con happens, and I think Peter is going to be gone starting on Friday and maybe in, into next week. So I just wanted to lay this out there for you know longtime frequent listeners. I'm not sure exactly what the schedule for the podcast may be in the next week or two. There, there may be a few days where uh, we're so busy that we just don't have time to turn one out. So uh, um, I just wanted to lay that out there for people um, just, just Case. So, uh, speaking of podcasts, though, Brad, how about that for a, a transition? Uh, tell me what you've been doing recently. Uh, well, so previously, uh, those who have been listening to this podcast for a long time may remember that uh, I had my own podcast that I did with a friend of mine called Go Flicks Yourself. Uh, unfortunately, that podcast kind of like went on a somewhat indefinite hiatus for a while. Uh, we had like a couple false starts like throughout the pandemic, and it was just kind of complicated trying to get. Uh, our schedules to to line up, especially since we we typically had some of our other friends on the show to talk about movies, and it just became kind of chaotic to coordinate. Um, but recently, we've also been doing a Saturday Night Live podcast with another friend of ours who's a big diehard SNL fan. 
and he's also very knowledgeable and like a big movie and TV nerd like we are. And so what we decided to do was bring on a, a him on as a third co-host. So now we don't have to necessarily struggle to get guests and we can still have like a good podcast between like the three of us because uh, when it was just the two of us, me and my friend Ben, it was just like, uh, it just didn't feel like it was quite as fun because even though we bounce off each other really well, we like having conversations with other people. So we're not just having a big circle jerk. Um, yeah, and- I mean, I get it. Like, you know, a podcast with Brad and then a guy named Ben. I mean, that's just going to end up as a piece of trash. So, <laughs> so yeah, no one, no one cares. So, uh, so it's still kind of a circle jerk, but we like having, you know, uh, a third guest to talk about movies. And so uh, the Go Flicks Yourself is back. Uh, it is available on Spotify and iTunes and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and all sorts of other platforms. So uh, we'll be doing a new episode every week. They release uh, overnight uh, on Tuesday, uh, so it's available Wednesday morning. And uh, we we have uh, the third episode uh, since our kind of relaunch is coming up tomorrow. Uh, so there's two fresh ones. And uh, unfortunately, our old library still isn't back intact if you ever wanted to go back and listen to like the older episodes from previous years but uh they will now that we have like a new place to host and everything we'll be slowly uploading them and like they'll be you'll be able to listen to them like in chronological order as they're they're updated so it's been a lot of fun to get back into it uh, i like screwing around um it's definitely less formal than a podcast like slash film daily uh we screw around a lot and uh crack jokes and and whatnot. So it's very casual, just kind of sitting around discussing podcasts. So if that sounds like fun to you, feel free to check it out. It's called Go Flicks Yourself. Excellent. Okay, so we've not really been reading much. Uh, Let's get right into what we've been watching. And uh, unbeknownst to one another, we both happened to watch the same movie uh, in the past, whatever, several days, which is odd because it's not a new release. It's a movie from, what, 1988, I think. Yeah. Uh, So we both watched Working Girl, the Mike Nichols movie that stars Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, and Melanie Griffith. Uh, What did you think about Working Girl, Brad? Uh, I thought it was great. So first of all, it had somehow escaped me that this was a Mike Nichols movie. Uh, I, I'd, I'd always known about it and heard it was very good. And of course, you know, uh, it's, it was one of the few Harrison Ford movies that I, I haven't seen. So I just decided to to check it out. And man, uh, this is like was it's still such a great movie that, you know, I feel like it's it's held up. It kind of stands the test of time. And it's this great story about Melanie Griffith as this, you know, woman kind of trying to make it in the business world and doing everything she can to, you know, find some kind of decent job where she's taken seriously as uh, a professional female. But of course, you know, it's a it's a man's world. Uh, But then she kind of she gets a window into how she might be able to uh, find a, a steady paying job that takes advantage of her her skills and ideas when she see, uh, starts working for Sigourney Weaver, uh, who is this uh, kind of big-time executive, and she's, Melody Griffith starts working as her uh, executive assistant. And then once Sigourney Weaver uh, has a little bit of an accident on vacation, Melody Griffith gets an opportunity to kind of turn it into like uh, a full-on proper career, albeit in that uh, questionably deceptive kind of way, but... <laughs> But one that shows that she has the ambition and like skills to do uh, what it takes to like be this you know big professional woman. And of course, Harrison Ford is the the love interest and also has a a, a stake in the uh, the professional side of, of the plot. But yeah, this was I really like this uh, a lot. You know, the performances were great. It has a really surprising uh, ensemble cast, and yeah, I just I liked it a lot. How about you? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think um, I spent a lot of time just uh, sort of thinking that 1988 was not that long ago. And like the um, the attitudes toward, uh, you know, women in the workplace were just, I mean, we've come so far in so many ways. And yeah. then 
not at all in <laughs> and regressed in other ways, just culturally, you know, societally, if that's a word, like, you know, just just watching something like this that is that is very much a snapshot of its era sort of brings all of those um, those parallels and those observations into stark contrast. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy it. Like, like you said, you know, this was on my list for a long time, uh, specifically because I'd heard that it was great and the performances were all great. And that was my favorite part of it. Just watching like Harrison Ford is sort of like, you know, he's played goofy before. Um, you know, he has like maybe little moments of goofiness here and there sort of sprinkled throughout his career. But this I thought was like, uh, almost like a it feels like brad pitt would play this role now if if this movie was made now for the first time you know what i mean like yeah. there's a there's a bit of a um a lightness of touch to his performance and really everybody else's performance too that that really sort of like permeates the movie that i really appreciate and like sigourney weaver for example like she she plays this like you said sort of high-powered uh executive but she's also like super um I don't know what the word would be almost like frothy or something where like, she's, she's sort of like, uh, like floating on the clouds in a way, like her character feels so, um, so heightened and, and sort of, uh, I don't know, like, like almost not like, uh, a, a real human and and like the fact that she's sort of sidelined by this accident but almost spends the entire movie like not checking in on melanie griffith's character who essentially like yeah. place. it's just sort of like you know it's a little silly but then when it cuts back to her when she finally does check back in there's like a party atmosphere going on in her hospital room that just sort of like uh insinuates the or sort of like in in you're you're left to infer um, just the the wild uh, personality that this character has that she's able to sort of like uh, mesmerize and draw all of these people into her circle and like she's flirting with the doctor and it's just like so yeah. there's so much going on but it, it's really like enjoyable to watch so um, yeah I, I I liked it a lot I, I think um, Joan Cusack plays uh, Melanie Griffith's character's best friend and I also spent a long time in the movie just being like. Jesus Christ, like Melanie Griffith's character needs better friends because uh, her her uh, significant other, I guess, her her boyfriend, I, I guess, is what they are. Yeah. Uh, played by Alec Baldwin, and he cheats on her very early in the movie. And then... She still invites him to her engagement party. <laughs> and, like, does not take her friend's side in the, the uh, whatever, uh, romantic argument or whatever you want to call it at all. And I'm just like, man, like, somebody... Uh, Melanie Griffith, like somebody get this woman's back, like help her out a little bit here. She's sort of like on an island all, all by herself. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, a lot of the the character dynamics. And uh, yeah, I, I think it works super well as this really, you know, a, a clear snapshot into that era. And then, um, yeah, just a really like a cool showcase for those, uh, those main performances. So um, I think this is on... Where, do you remember where you watch this, Brad? It's streaming on one of the major platforms now, and I don't don't have it right in front of me. Oh but, gosh, I don't remember um, where I streamed it. Let me look real quick. I want to say it was. I think it was HBO Max. Oh, it was Hulu. Hulu. Was Hulu. Yes. There you go. Hulu. Okay. So, Working Girl, 1988, streaming on Hulu. If you want to check it out, I actually think I also. I think the, actually the way I re- I think I recorded it from Turner Classic Movies. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> Um, all right, so I'll, I'll run through just a couple other things that I've been watching. Uh, I watched The Black Phone. I caught up with that. And uh, have you seen The Black Phone yet, Brad? I have not. But I'm uh, trying. I've been trying to get out to theater to see that and uh, and Elvis, but I just haven't made the time yet. Yeah, I, I did the, like the twenty dollar rental and watched uh, Black Phone at home. And um, 
and enjoyed it. I mean, it's not like my favorite horror movie, but it's like very sturdy, super, um, you know, well done. I, I wish I could have gotten a little more, more uh, Ethan Hawke out of the movie because he plays the the grabber, the villain in the film. And um, he spends 99.9% uh, .9 of the movie behind a mask. And I just, I sort of wish that we had a little bit more of, of him uh, in the movie, but I thought the child performers, the, the, um, uh, the main kid and his sister, I don't have the actor's names in front of me. Sorry about that. Uh, were both tremendous. And like, you know, it's very rare that I enjoy children performing in movies. <laughs> it's just because most of the kids in, in movies these days, you can, it feels like you can see the, uh, the fact that they were like, um, brought up in the Disney channel or like Nickelodeon sitcom realm where they're just like playing to the back, uh, the back of the theater at all times. And like, doing cheesy grins and like nothing, everything feels artificial in in a lot of kid performances, but these, uh, these kids I thought did a great job. So um, I enjoyed the black phone. Uh, I also watched a movie called the pirate from 1948, which is a, an MGM musical that stars uh, Judy Garland and Gene Kelly. And uh, this is like a, a big period piece. And um, th there's some some questionable stuff in here, Brad, especially in terms of like, uh, you know, we're talking about snapshots of societal, uh, you know, how far things have come. Uh, this movie, I think, is like it's heightened and it, it is a, a big throwback to this sort of like big, uh, you know, uh, sweeping swashbuckling adventure kind of things. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the, some of the, the treatment against women or toward women in this movie is, uh, is very um, sort of makes you <laughs> like that, that blinking face of that, that gif. Uh, it's a little bit like that. Um, I will say that the one thing that I, that sort of like surprised me in this movie is there's the big musical number at the very end called be a clown, which uh, is performed twice. Uh, Gene Kelly does it once I think by himself. And then, um, and then once at the very, very end of the movie with Judy Garland. And it's it's uh, almost exactly the same musically as the make them laugh scene from Singing in the Rain. And I have no idea if that's, uh, if basically like they, they repurpose that and just sort of like, it feels like a, what is it called in, in video game? A skin where you put like a, a different skin on a character. Yeah. Um, it, it feels like the exact same type of thing uh, as make them laugh, which is obviously like a, you know, one of the, the most famous like uh, song and dance numbers, I guess, in, in arguably in musical history. So uh, I just uh, watching this be a clown sequence, which you can probably find on YouTube if you just want to watch that um, was really uh, sort of like, whoa, what what's going on here? I want to know more about the connection there. Um, so the pirate enjoyable, uh, really <laughs> sort of a, a weird, fun movie. But um, OK, what else? Uh, I watched. Oh, this uh, series on Apple TV Plus called Blackbird. Have you heard of this, Brad? Have you seen I this? have. Okay. It is great. Uh, I watched all of the show because I did interviews um, a couple weeks ago with uh, several of the people um, behind it. But it is uh, Dennis Lehane who wrote um, the novels Mystic River and Gone Baby Gone. And he's I think he worked on The Wire as well, is the creator of this series. And... Uh, it's loosely inspired on by a, a real story of a guy who I think in the late 90s was um, arrested and incarcerated, and then the FBI or you know some law enforcement agency comes to him and says, "Hey, there's a there's another criminal in this high security uh, penitentiary. We need you to um, elicit a confession from him." because he is up for parole and it seems likely that he might get out of prison. But if you can go in there and get him to tell you where he buried these bodies, 
we will commute your sentence. We will we will let you out of jail. Um, so Taron Edgerton plays the guy who like goes undercover basically, and uh, Paul Walter Hauser plays the possible killer. There's there's a really interesting thing that hangs over this whole series where uh, this guy is maybe the killer maybe he isn't he's a serial confessor so they establish um in the show in early on i think in the first or second episode that this guy just likes confessing to crimes because he enjoys the attention that comes from that and so the whole series you're sort of left wondering like how far did this guy go in terms of uh confessing to these crimes did he confess his way into jail or did he actually commit these uh, murders of these young girls all across the Midwest. And um, he's actually serving the sentence that he's supposed to be serving kind of thing. So um, it's super tense, incredibly well-directed. I love the performances all around. This is like the best work that I think Taron Edgerton and Paul Walter Hauser have ever done. Uh, Ray Liotta, this is his last role before, or his last television role, his last major role, I think, before he died. And he is tremendous in the show. And I, I've like uh, not to speak ill of the dead or anything, but I've, I've never really been like a huge Ray Liotta fan. He's always just been like one of those guys that like, Oh yeah, you know, he pops up. I, I enjoy him as much as the next person, but here I was like completely riveted by everything he did. So um, Blackbird, I think it's like six or eight episodes or something on Apple TV plus, And it is well worth your time. I, I really, really enjoyed the show. So funny um, enough, aside from like the acclaim I've heard for the show, I heard, uh locally from somebody that apparently my my hometown where i live right now apparently is is mentioned uh on this show and like they even show like a sign of like that is in my town i guess i think it i think it is i think i i clocked that as it happened yeah i forgot to to bring that up to you but um yeah, some some rare representation <laughs> on yeah, uh, it's, the it's, mainstream it's, show. It's this, and then it's um, in Daylight. Uh, Amy Brenneman's character in uh, Daylight says she's from LaPorte, Indiana. <laughs> so uh, Daylight, the Sylvester Stallone movie? Yes, yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. Man, yeah. it's been a while since I've seen that one. <laughs> and then, oh, and one other recent thing I noticed is uh, in American Wedding, when Stifler gets out a map to try and plan uh, the bachelor party, because that ta- the, uh, the American Pie movies take place in Michigan, um, he has all these places circled. And one of the places he circles is a town called Michigan City, which is like 20 minutes away from here. And let me tell you, it is not a place that you want to plan bachelor parties. <laughs> uh, it's a, a place where marriages go to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's a place where a lot of things go to die, really. It's just, it's not that, it's not, not that exciting of a place. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, also on Apple TV Plus, the last thing that I've been watching is uh, I've been catching up with the first season of a show called Loot, which is uh, airing its first season right now. I think they've... I there have been six episodes that have come out and this is the show that stars uh, Maya Rudolph as this character who was married to a um, a sort of like a tech billionaire played by Adam Scott. And in the first episode uh, she realizes that her husband has been cheating on her and she, they split up and she gets something like $87 billion or something in this divorce. And she is sort of left rudderless a little bit she doesn't really know what to do with her life because for the past 20 years or so in this marriage she has been you know just like sort of um living the easy life kind of thing and now uh she is realizing like that she doesn't really know who she is as a person and what she wants to do with her life and so um she realizes that she has a a charity organization in los angeles that sort of like helps underprivileged communities and so she decides to essentially go all in and sort of like learn about this 
um, you know, this charity organization and, and start working there day to day and getting to know the, um, the employees that work there who sort of view her almost as a, a celebrity because she, she is like one of the richest people in the world. And, um, it's just about this, you know, it, it's a pretty light breezy show. It's not like one of my favorite things on TV, but there's always like a good amount of laughs in every episode. And, uh, the soundtrack is really great. Um, Alan Yang, who I think worked on, uh, Parks and Recreation and uh, several shows that you've heard of and liked uh, is one of the cr- the uh, co-creators of the show. And um, the cast is really good, like Nat Faxon and Ron Funches and Joel Kim Booster and uh, Michaela J. Rodriguez are all in this. And um, and it, of course, Maya Rudolph is like great in anything. And, and this show, I think, gives her a good range to show off like the comedy that obviously we know her for. But also there are these moments of... Um, of sort of like uh, self-reflection and self-doubt. And it sort of like gives her uh, a few more colors of the rainbow to play with a little bit um, than, than what we've typically seen from her. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, a relatively like innocuous show, but um, it's a 30 minute comedy and I'm always on the lookout for those sort of at the end of the night kind of thing right before bed. Um, it's nice to just throw one of those on after watching some, you know, uh, Blackbird is like uh, pretty intense. Like there's, you know, murders and, and, uh, some, some darkness that sort of is, uh, infuses that show and, and loot is like the exact opposite. So, uh, yeah, I, I am enjoying the show so far. So that is called loot. It's on Apple TV plus, um, Brad, what else have you been watching? I have been watching all of the final destination movies. So, so I, I saw that you mentioned this on Slack. What uh, inspired you to take this journey now, uh, all these years after Final Destination has been like a, a truly relevant uh, ongoing horror franchise? Uh, so my mom likes to watch horror movies and suspense thrillers and stuff like that. Uh, and these are all on HBO Max. And I have seen the first two, but I had never finished the franchise. And these are very easy, breezy, hour and a half, sometimes less uh, movies to get through. And so just decided to go to go through them. Uh, and so rewatch the first two, uh, which are probably the best in, in the series. You know, they're the ones that actually they, they felt like they were, you know, really trying um, for the most part. And like, it's it's a lot of fun just because of how they construct the elaborate deaths and like the suspense leading up to it and like the red herrings as to like what's actually going to cause the, the deaths and whatnot. Um, it's also funny to look back at this franchise and see how just like flippant they were with killing off the main characters. Like uh, they kill off Devin Sawa in between one and two. Like he's not even in this, the second one. Uh, and Ali Larder brutally dies in an explosion at the end of the second one so that none of the main cast members are around for the third one, which I was surprised to see and had completely forgotten was led by Mary Elizabeth Winstead of yeah. Scott Pilgrim fame. Um, the third one is when things start to get shaky because like, it kind of takes a little bit too much of a departure from the original premise. It still follows the idea of death making good on its plan to kill certain people after they've survived a tragedy, but it adds this say cheese and die kind of twist where the, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is this high school kid who works for the yearbook and she was taking pictures at this like um, amusement park fair kind of event for the graduates. And in the pictures uh, contains hints of how, everyone is going to die who was supposed to die in a roller coaster accident. Uh, and so that's like, yeah, whatever. It, it, you know, it, it's still some entertaining things about it, but definitely started to take a dive. And then man, what a steep drop for the final destination, the fourth <laughs> entry in the franchise. This movie is garbage. Mm. It, it is lazy. 
cheap. It was when they were really trying like 3D and like they hadn't even pushed back the idea of 3D being like a gimmick or like, look at all this crap in your face. Mm. Uh, just bad, 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 bad. But the good news is it makes the uptick back to Final Destination 5 that much better. Uh, it gets back to like the, 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 the good style of the first two movies of like the suspense and the, the carefully crafted death scenes and whatnot. Um, Nicholas D'Agosto, who has kind of disappeared, really, uh, is the lead in this movie. Uh, you might remember him from uh, the um, he played Hunter, Jan's assistant in the office, and he was in some like popular indie movies back in like the early 2000s. Mm. Um, but so th- this was much better. And I won't spoil this part because to me, this was really cool. And if you have somehow not watched all the Final Destination movies and want to go through them, this is a very fun thing. The ending of Final Destination 5 is sick as hell it is so cool i was like taken aback and like literally gassed i was like are they really doing this and it's awesome it's just a very cool way to to end the the fifth movie in the franchise so final destination movies uh not all great but very fun and very quick to get through do you know if they are actually developing another one this seems like one of those that they they couldn't let die for very long so i don't think that they had like people have been asking for it recently but uh i don't remember if there is one there i'm looking right now yeah it looks like there's going to be a franchise reboot that will be on hbo max which probably explains why all the movies are on there right now okay (laughs) uh so so yeah they're they are working on a final destination uh reboot and it's being produced by john watts of marvel's spider-man franchise yes i remember that story okay yeah so yeah so there there you go looking forward to more final destination (laughs) Okay. Uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, I also watched a couple uh, older movies for the first time. Uh, I watched the first Police Academy movie. Have you seen the Police Academy movies, Ben? You know, I have not seen any of the sequels. I may have seen the first one when I was like 10 years old, and I don't remember a single thing about it except Steve Gutenberg is in it, and then, uh, what is his name, Michael, um, the guy who does like all the, the crazy mouth sounds. Yeah, Michael <laughs> Winslow. Yes, Michael Winslow. I remember that he exists, but I could not tell you a single <laughs> thing that happens in these movies. Yeah, so uh, it's a very silly ensemble comedy. The, the premise is basically uh, during this time, the uh, the mayor has decided that to not have any more uh, strict restrictions about who can apply to become a police officer, opening it up to uh, all walks of life, men and women, no matter like what your, your body type is or your ethnicity or, or anything like that. And so it... it creates this whole situation where a bunch of completely random people who normally might be otherwise unfit to become uh, members of the police force enter the police academy and go through the training process. Um, it's one of the those like kind of just chaos comedies that throws you into the middle <laughs> of, a, of a story and like things just kind of happen and there's like a very basic form of a plot and then it all culminates in some kind of crazy final act uh, bit of like insanity and chaos. And I, I miss comedies like this because like movies like uh, Animal House and Stripes and stuff like that, they don't really have much plot to them. They kind of just let the characters get caught up in these like wacky events and like, and uh, scenarios and just kind of let it unfold. And I part of me misses that because I think uh, there's a lot of comedies nowadays really try to like take too much time to like uh, force like plot elements and really let and like create a lot of setups for payoffs that, you know, n- n- aren't necessarily worth all this time in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like this movie really just like throws you in. Like it, it literally starts off like stating like what's happening with, with the police Academy at the very beginning with, with uh, 
bumpers, graphic bumpers. And then like you meet a few of the characters that are going to police Academy without giving you like any real insight into who they are beyond some very superficial details. And then it's like, all right, we're at police Academy. <laughs> uh, and so like, it's, uh, it's, and it's also one of those eighties comedies where like uh, some of the stuff hasn't aged very well. There's some like uh, racial stereotypes and there's some homophobic uh, slurs and scenarios that have, have not aged as well. Like a lot of eighties comedies out there, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also some very enjoyable st- stuff too. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not sure if I w- want to go through and watch the rest of the, I don't know, six or seven <laughs> other movies that, yes. that, that, that there are, but, but yeah, you know, it was, it was interesting to watch this first one, I guess. Yeah, man, I cannot believe that there have been that many police Academy movies like that. That has got to be like one of the most, um, I don't know, like unlikely film franchises that, that ran as long as it did. Like I cannot. Uh, yeah, I, I still can't get over it. I haven't yeah. seen any of them, but I can't get over the fact that they exist. <laughs> and it makes me, it actually makes me mad that they don't do this kind of stuff anymore. Because if there's one franchise that I felt deserves this many sequels, it's the Twenty One Jump Street franchise. Yes. You know? Yeah. I wish that would happen. Also, uh, just a fun side note: Kim Cattrall is the like, uh, like the female lead in this movie. Basically, like serves oh. serves as like a love interest in in this movie. So that was interesting to see. Did not know she was in it. Okay, so you also watched uh, Doctor No for the first time, going back to the beginning with Bond. Yeah. So I don't know if I've ever admitted this on the podcast before i have not seen a single classic james bond movie my james bond experience is limited to only the pierce brosnan and daniel craig movies i have wow i have seen like certain milestone moments and clips from the old james bond movies so like i have a vibe for you know like sean connery's james bond as opposed to you know uh timothy dalton's or roger moore so like I, i have a very basic like just an understanding of that but i've never watched any of the old movies from beginning to end. So decided to start at the beginning uh, and start with Dr. No. And uh, gotta say, kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, very slow movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I was like, this was what a James Bond movie was when we started this? Like, like there's... I, I, I looked at the, the time that was left in the movie. There was like 10 minutes left in the movie and I had no idea what like the final action sequence <laughs> was, was going to be. I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> oh man! Um, but yeah, very, very, very slow burning uh, movie, but very much you know like a product of like six what 60s action was at the time. But it is cool to see like some of the like just the early form of what would become you know like signature James Bond uh, you know details and things like that. So I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely keep going through. You know that's why I started. So but uh, yeah, a little bit of a slow start for James Bond. <laughs> yeah, there are so many moments in that movie. Like I think there's a moment, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a few years since I've seen this. Now I did a big rewatch of all of them in order uh, leading up to Spectre in 2015. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a moment in Doctor No where. He's like in a um, essentially like a hotel room or like a bungalow room or something. And he just like walks across the room and the James Bond theme is like blaring. Yes. As if it's like a big action scene or something. Yeah. And like, you know, that is that is what happens. That is like the, uh, you know, the big one of the big moments in this movie where they decided to pull out the big guns with the soundtrack. It's just like James Bond crossing a carpeted room or something. It's yeah. Yeah. Sort of wild to to think about what that has evolved into over the years. But yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was. You know, I'm not mad that I watched it. But uh, yeah, hope, hopefully they pick up from here. I got to tell you, Brad, um, a lot of the Bond movies and you'll you'll learn this very, very soon are uh, are like almost interchangeable like that that's the that was my big takeaway after yeah. doing that that huge thing is just like uh it seems like a lot of the plots are almost identical to movies you know three or four movies ago and then um <laughs> you know just things happen where you're just like you lose uh, a sense of um 
a sense of like uh, specificity in <laughs> as you get into that thing you're just like what movie did that happen in like it, it's all very um very blurry so i will say uh, i yeah. was surprised that um that specter was brought up like for, like right away in this movie I, yeah. I i assumed specter was something that like evolved later that they said you know they're like you know what we should do have all these villains be part of the same organization but like right from the get-go it's like i'm with specter and it's like oh okay <laughs> yeah yeah man um one of the things that i think you'll get a kick out of though as you go through is the uh the production design there's this guy named ken adams who did like a lot of the um you know the the villain layers and everything and like his work is just unbelievable so uh if if nothing else if the plots you know leave you um uh, leave you wanting a little bit at the very least uh, some of the production design elements in the in the Bond franchise nice. are, um, will make it worth your while. So. Yeah, th- this one in particular you definitely get a, a vibe for where Mike Myers got a lot of inspiration for spoofing James oh, Bond yeah. with, with Austin <laughs> Powers. Like, Dr. No is very clearly Dr. Evil. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, what else What else have you been watching? Uh, I rewatched High School High. Did you ever watch this movie, Ben? I've never seen this and I don't think I know what it is. So, High School High is a parody. Um, it is like like a flat out parody for, um, that was produced by uh, David Zucker uh, of Zucker Abrams and Zucker, who did um, you know Airplane and the Naked Gun movies and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and he wrote, uh, co-wrote it with Pat Proft, who they also worked on the Hot Shots movies. And it is a parody of movies like Dangerous Minds, uh, Stand and Deliver, and, oh. and those kind of movies where like uh, a teacher goes into like an inner city school and like you know changes the kids lives and like helps out the, the school and uh so it, it very much like parodies that and like movies like poetic justice and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff and john lovitz uh is the lead as the teacher uh tia carrera is like the secondary love interest teacher and then you have uh makai pfeiffer as like the the leader of like the, the inner city kids who's like resistant to, to learning and stuff and it's funny. So when, um, I, I remember watching this a lot when I was younger because I, I because I had seen Airplane and the Naked Gun and stuff at such a young age. I loved spoof movies when I was younger. And the 90s was like prime time for spoof movies. There were tons of them all over. And I remember liking this one a lot. And I, I was a little worried because when I went to replay it on Stars. Uh, you know, how it tells you those ratings where it says, like, you know, adult language and, like, mm-hmm. this kind of thing. One of the things was, it was, it was the label was IC, and it was in uh, insensitive cultural depictions. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> However, I think that, like, with this movie, the the point of it is, like, the par- it's parodying, like, what the movies like Dangerous Minds and Stand to Deliver kind of did, where they did kind of create these, like, stereotypical characters and scenarios. Mm-hmm. And it, it's basically, like parodying that like putting it through the lens of like how ridiculous it is of like seeing these things depicted in this way because like the way it depicts the school is like it's a war zone <laughs> like it is there's like graffiti all over the building people being thrown out of windows like like stuff exploding and like j- just like crazy um but so i i think this movie is still uh, a lot of fun the performance it, performances in it are really fun um you have uh louise fletcher in it as uh the principal who's you might remember as nurse ratchet Mm-hmm. Uh, and for, for me, this movie is just uh, a like really enjoyable. The supporting performances are a lot of fun. It has all the signature like background gags and jokes, lots of physical comedy and things like that. Uh, and John Lovitz is re- a really fun choice to to lead this movie too, because he's just such a like a, a clueless, you know, naive kind of character, and just his like his voice alone is perfect for this kind mm-hmm. of role. So, so yeah, I, it was fun rewatching this movie. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm looking at the uh, the movie poster now and realizing that I I saw this a bunch on VHS, you know, Blockbuster back in the day, but it just never actually like pulled it off the shelf. So maybe I'll add this to my uh, list of things to watch. So. 
Um, okay, what else have you been watching? Uh, I watched all of The Bear. You've watched Hell all of The yes. Bear, right? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. <clears throat> the show is it's just so good. Like, it was, it was like the first show in a long time where I sat down to watch it and, like, I could not stop. Like, I just binged it the whole way through. And it's just fast-paced, uh, such great performances, stellar writing. It really just puts you in this you know, small, realistic world of this, you know, beef restaurant in, in Chicago. And yeah, it was, it was just spectacular from, from start to finish. And like, I hope they get to do a second season. Uh, but if they, they don't, got, they got uh, approved for, or whatever, greenlit for a second season, like uh, a couple days ago. Oh, so. perfect. Yeah. And yes. so it's because of, even if they didn't like the series itself ends on a note where it's like, Oh, you could end the show here and that would <laughs> be perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so I'm very excited to see where they go, especially based on the ending of the first season it won't spoil anything obviously uh but it feels like they it can take the show into like a completely different direction um and yeah i'm very very excited to see what what it has to offer from here on out because this was just a spectacular season of, of tv yes uh okay so there's one other tv show that you've been watching yeah i, I only just started it. i'm a, a couple episodes in uh it's a british crime drama called the fall uh this was released back in 2013 uh there are three seasons in total and uh it stars julian anderson as this detective who is brought in to help with a case that the belfast uh police department is having some trouble solving uh there's a uh a killer out there who is uh seemingly randomly selecting professional women as victims and uh, strangling them. And they're trying to figure out who it is and, and what's going on. Jamie Dornan plays the serial killer. They let you in on that right from the beginning. And it kind of goes back and forth between uh, so far anyway, like them trying to figure out uh, who he is and what's going on and him, uh, how he plans, you know, his, his crimes and pulls them off and his victims. And uh, it's a very compelling drama. It like shows you, everything that's going on in like the killer's life because he has this very normal uh, lifestyle. It's he's not one of those killers who is like secluded in a crappy apartment or anything like that. It's very much uh, an unsettling thing because this guy could be anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so the performances are are great so far. It has a very um, uh, complex uh, plot that interweaves supporting characters and has, you know, these uh, sub stories along with the, the main plot to keep it enticing. And they also feed into the larger story as well. So uh, seems like a very good uh, crime drama so far. I'm interested to see how it shakes out. And I haven't looked ahead yet because I didn't want to necessarily spoil anything for myself. I'm, I'm assuming based on this that probably each season focuses on a different crime. Um, but hmm. I, I don't I haven't confirmed that yet. So I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know necessarily how that works yet. But uh, interested to find out. Does Jillian Anderson's character have a partner in this show or is it her she sort of not. by herself? Yeah, okay. she's, she's by herself. Okay, I was thinking of uh, there was another show that came out around the same time where um, Joel Kinnaman was like somebody's part. Oh, The Killing yeah, is yeah. what I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, The Fall and The Killing were happening around that same time. And, and uh, yeah, the Jamie Dornan of it all um, it has me curious here because I think this was like the thing that sort of put him on the map as an actor. So. Yeah, he's good too. I, uh, he's, he's very good in this. Excellent. Uh, all right, what have you been eating, Brad? Let's get into this uh, this segment here. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I f- this is something that I've been wanting to try for a long time. It's it's not necessarily new. It's been out for a while, but it hasn't been easily available in my area. Uh, Hostess released this line of iced lattes, um, basically like in bottles, like Starbucks frappuccinos, uh, and they're based on their their snacks. So they have uh, Ding Dong, Twinkies, Snowballs, and Honey Bun are the flavors that they're based on. 
And uh, I had seen them uh, online. People had posted about them, but they just weren't ever in any stores here. But I accidentally stumbled upon them when I was stopped at a Casey's convenience store, which is a chain here in uh, the Midwest. I don't know if you guys have Casey's down there. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so I found it and I stumbled upon uh, the Ding Dong and Twinkies flavors were there. And so I grabbed them immediately. Uh, And they're pretty good. Um, The Twinkies one... Uh, didn't have a flavor that was remarkably different from your regular vanilla frappuccino. Uh, it was just a very subtle flavor that where you kind of had like the the flavor of like the cake that comes with the Twinkie, but not not a strong flavor. But you can definitely taste the chocolate and the cream flavor uh, in the, the Ding Dong Ice Latte, which was was pretty good. And so these are, if you've had Starbucks frappuccinos, you know they're pretty sweet. These are probably they probably taste a little bit sweeter because they're emulating the Hostess snacks. But overall, they were pretty good. And now I'm hoping I can find. Uh, the snowballs and the honey bun ones to try those. Nice. Uh, also on the subject of Twinkies, there's a, a tropical blast Twinkie that is out there now. It's a a blue cream in the middle that has like a, a generic kind of tropical uh, flavor to it. Almost like in the way that like uh, a fruit punch would in that way. It doesn't taste like fruit punch, but like it's that kind of generic representation of tropical flavors. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, this was supposed to be a Ghostbusters afterlife cross promotion that happened when the movie came out. But for whatever reason, uh, I don't know if they like couldn't get them out in time, if the delay of the movie kind of screwed it up uh, or what the deal was, but they they're only just now coming out with no ghostbusters branding. Uh, Cause there was the blue cream was supposed to be tied to Muncher, who is the, the ghost <laughs> in ghostbusters afterlife. But now, of course now it's nothing. So, but uh, they're, they're pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm still just like a standby for the, the original Twinkie. Although I think the banana uh, Twinkie gives it a run for its money. Um, but original Twinkie is still the way to go guys. Okay. Uh, Neapolitan Oreos are a thing. If you like Oreos, they're always coming out with crazy flavors. Uh, and this one actually has three layers of cream to represent the vanilla, chocolate, uh, and strawberry. So, like, it's not, uh, you know, like three flavors spread across the entire cookie. It's like one on top of the other. Uh, and these are fine. It doesn't really have the same blend of the uh of the three flavors like it, as if you've got a neapolitan ice cream because when you get the ice cream the flavors you know kind of melt into each other and that's what gives it that like unique flavor of strawberry chocolate and vanilla and that doesn't really happen with the cream even if you, you take a bite of it and get all three flavors uh you kind of still taste them individually and it's not really the exactly the same so they're they're fine um it's kind of cool that the the oreo cookie design has like a waffle cone uh design on it with just like a cross pattern but hmm. uh but yeah they're they're okay not not a favorite new flavor in my opinion okay um little debbie has new snickerdoodle cream pies uh i've seen these in the store but i've not tried them obviously <laughs> yeah they came out of nowhere actually like they weren't announced ahead of time or anything they just kind of appeared and then it was like hey these are on store shelves now and i literally saw them the next day at the store uh <laughs> so i tried them because i i love little debbie's regular oatmeal cream pies uh, and these are pretty good. They're not um, quite as, as good as the oatmeal cream pies. There's just something about the oatmeal cream pies that are, are great. Um, and these have like a slight cinnamony snickerdoodle flavor to them. But otherwise, they're just they're just kind of generic uh, soft cookies with cream in the middle. Nothing too, mm. too exciting. Okay. Uh, and then finally, um, I tried the Fanta, uh, what the Fanta mystery flavor, which is uh, it comes in a blue color. It is a zero sugar flavor. Um and I will tell you right now, the flavor is pretty easy to guess. Um, if you don't want to know what it is and you want to find this yourself, just, just skip ahead to the end of the podcast because it's almost over. Um, but I'm going to give you my guess right now in three, two, one. It's undoubtedly Orange Dreamsicle. And I was kind of disappointed by this because Fanta like is known for having orange soda already. And like to do orange creamsicle 
dream school, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. as a mystery flavor, it just felt kind of like uninspired, like like you couldn't come up with anything else, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know if it's because um, like Fanta is known for their like tropical fruit flavors. And maybe they couldn't really find anything like super special to like do that fits in with their their lineup. But I just even so, I just feel like meh. I didn't. I could have done without this. <laughs> yeah, have they done this kind of thing before? They've done mystery flavors before, I think, but I don't remember the last time like it was or anything like that. They're also there. There are um, they're doing mystery flavors in slush form. I don't know if it's the same flavor or not, but they're supposed to be doing one at Burger King, and there's one at Speedway and Seven Eleven. Uh, stations and I haven't looked up to see if they're the same flavor yet because I kind of wanted to find them myself and try mm-hmm. try it. Uh, so I don't know if they're they're the same, but um, I, I almost wish they would have done something like you know done a, a Dole Whip flavor, you know, like yeah, a, like, a, yeah. like a, at least do like a pineapple orange cream or, or something like that, and just just mix it up. But yeah, still stay close to their roots with the uh, the sort of tropical yeah. angle. But yeah, the good thing I guess for people out there, if like you're trying to avoid sugar, is it's a zero sugar flavor. So you know, go wild and enjoy, and not worry about diabetes. But yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. Uh, You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we talked about here on SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.